Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, X, and Rumble. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, onto the show. It was 1969, the beautiful day to fly. We were about 100 feet above the ground when I started noticing that something was wrong. It was engine failure. Trees were filling our windshield. I found myself above the crash site. And while I'm processing what I'm looking at, I can see a pilot and this is me. No two near-death experiences are the same. Out of nowhere, a trailer truck kept me head on. But they typically occur in a very consistent process. We began to go down the river, and my boat became pinned. I was drowning. The first thing that happens is called an out-of-body experience. And they come to a place of exquisite beauty. They very commonly see a light. Deceased relatives come to meet them. The first person I saw was my grandfather. Now I'm traveling like a rocket ship, straight upwards. And with that... <laughs> oh my God, I'm alive! But not every near-death experience is a good one. 23% had hellish experiences. I saw a black tunnel. I mean, just falling. I wasn't in fear, I was in terror. It was just darkness. Put me back. I don't belong here. I heard a voice before I woke up. You still have a purpose on Earth. I was very skeptical. I never felt alive and then dead. I felt alive and then more alive. I had full brain recordings from the dying human brain. Even though they were unconscious, they were able to give corroborative evidence. She's described herself that she just shouldn't know. Right. You can't be mystified by that question. What happens after you die? This really does show that there is life after death. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 567. Releasing October 27 in theatres across the US is After Death, a documentary that explores the phenomenon of near-death experiences as told by survivors who came into contact with the afterlife. A beautifully crafted and soul-stirring exploration into the scientific and spiritual ramifications of a profound experience beyond our earthly realm, after Death is a must-watch for believers, skeptics, and anyone who asks the question, what happens after we die? And for everyone out there listening, you can go to angel.com forward slash after death, and you can find out where you can get tickets, whereabouts um, After Death is playing in the cinemas across North America. That includes Canada as well. Um, I'm looking here. 
Um, I mean, pre-sales have already gone beyond the milestone and then some, and I think this is going to be a big hit. I, I believe it's going to be playing like something like 1,800 theatres across North America, and this is uh, such great news because it's a fantastic documentary. And I'm talking to the film's uh, director right now, Mr. Stephen Graves. Stephen, I thank you so very much for your time today. Oh, of course. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's really fascinating documentary. Uh, I was saying to you off the air just how much it really moved me as well. Um, looking into the history of it, this is a um, subject matter that you've delved into before. You had a short film in 2017 called Discovering Heaven, um, which told a story of Captain yeah. Dale Black. Um, for people who don't know, 1969 was like a 19-year-old pilot. He's the only survivor of like a of a of a plane uh, devastating plane crash, and he talked like years later talked about his near death experience from that. I was curious, what was it about his story that really drew you to his kind of like um his um uh, his accident, his uh, near death experience? What what was happening uh, in your life at that time that really kind of you know, said to you as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, and as a person that this is something you want to uh, a subject that you wanted to dive into? Yeah, so. Um, just to kind of start it off in terms of even the, the feature and, and, you know, the short, um, the reason why I even kind of ventured into this whole thing was it was born out of loss. So my, my wife's only brother, my, my brother-in-law, uh, Marco, he was actually killed in a car wreck in 2012. And uh, my, you know, my wife's family, they, they're immigrants from Croatia and uh, just a family of four. And now all of a sudden it's a family of three. And then uh, shy, just shy of a year and a half after that, my father-in-law had also died. So, it's, you know, it's just kind of compounding, devastating loss that kind of caused me to ask the question, uh, you know, is there something after or not? And uh, that's when I came across these stories. Uh, originally, there were some people around us that were recommending books of, of you know, people who had these near-death experiences, which I hadn't heard of before. Um, and the books were, uh, you know, interesting. I was very slow to kind of get into the books uh, and and read them at first, but it was actually an audio interview that I, I first stumbled upon with this doctor, Doctor uh, Richard Eby, and he had he had fallen two stories uh, and basically cracked open his head and, and bled out. But he had this you know profound near death experience, and he, the way he was describing with such articulate detail what his experience was, you know, he he had. He's basically like walking on the shoreline with Jesus and having this very long conversation. And he was talking about, you know, this, this spiritual body that he had, and it was made of light and all of this detail and the, and, and the senses that he had, which were something like 50 senses compared to the senses here. And I was just amazed. I, I never heard anything like this before. I, I mm. didn't really know what, what to make of it. So I read something like, 50, you know, not 50 books. I think it was like originally 30 books uh, cover to cover. And uh, I mean, I just couldn't get enough of these stories. Um, and actually, what I was finding was, you know, the, the individual stories were really interesting, but the layering of the overlapping nature of, of these experiences was what really kind of caught my attention after, you know, a bunch of books. And Dale's was one of them. Um, most of the people in, in our film, After Death, were what I originally kind of planned to, uh, to, to make in terms of a feature film. I just had no means of making it. <laughs> so the reason why I told Dale's story was it was just one story uh, out of the bunch that um, I just felt like it was interesting. I, I contacted a bunch of these people um, and Dale's was just kind of like, well, if I'm going to tell, if I, I only had the ability to tell one story initially. And so I just kind of selected Dale's and uh, <clears throat> his, his story. I mean, it was the first person that I got to sit in the interview chair and, and talk to, you know, face to face. And hearing his, you know, his experience, and um, 
it, it left a lasting profound impact on my life because I'm hearing about he crashed in, in 1969 in, in uh, Burbank, California, and into this monument called the Portal of Folded Wings, uh, which is this, I think, 70-foot structure uh, into this kind of upper upper dome area with two other pilots in a cargo plane. And uh, basically, he ended up becoming the sole survivor of this crash. But it, it was significant enough that it made the headlines of the LA Times the next day. And there was also an NTSB investigation um, and so there, there was a lot of uh, evidence to kind of back up, you know, the, the account and, and, and the, the crash itself. But Dale was a transformed man. And I think that's what I was really uh, kind of uh, drawn towards. You know, his his daughter talks about because he didn't tell a story about an the experience for years after uh, after he after he had this. Um, it was kind of miraculous in the way that he healed after they didn't, they didn't think he'd ever be able to fly again. Uh, he desired to. And so he was actually fully healed up and flew one year after the crash, the same flight path. And uh, he was talking to the to the tower and, and saying that he dedicates the, the flight to God. It's just like crazy miracle that he even did that. But his daughter said that she grew up, you know, with uh, with him and kind of thought he was a little bit crazy uh, mm. because he kept giving all his money away. He would grow up like these big airline, you know, businesses and stuff like that. He had he had fleets of planes. And every so often he would just be like, nope, not supposed to have this. And he would just give it all away. And so he just lived his life completely different. She, she thought he was a little bit crazy. But when he eventually came out and told, you know, the family, you know, what he experienced all those years ago, they were like, okay, that makes a lot more sense. So anyway, I told, I told a 10 minute story for, yeah, like you said, discovering heaven as sort of a proof of concept. Cause that's all I could do, uh, you know, with my, my abilities at the time. And then that, uh, that got me connected with uh, Jason and Jens at Cypher Studios out in California. And uh, they had just put out this beautiful film called The Heart of Man in 2017. And we just felt like it's this perfect kind of melding of worlds. You know, they, they've done the theatrical thing before, made it a beautiful film. And I'm about to endeavor on this thing of, of making a feature. And they saw the vision for it, got behind it. And, uh, and that's what kind of started the path of making After Death. Once you start transitioning over to the feature, are the people you got in touch with um, previously in regards to, um, uh, you know, talking about whether you'll be interested for an interview, um, are many, were many of those same people fe- featured in the documentary now or after the or after the short, did, you, did that open up a world to even more people with these experiences as well? Well, it's interesting because I, um, I don't know how a lot of them kind of agreed to uh, you know, years ago. Yeah. It was like before I even made, uh, the, the short, um, uh, they were, they were interested. Um, I think they were just kind of interested in particularly the why of why I would you know, be doing this, right. I'm not just like a typical director or producer out there that's looking to just make, you know, an entertaining piece. I mm. just personally really needed to know, is there something after that's my why. And, um, and I really cared about them and their stories, right? I, I, I intend always to to do their story justice and not you know twist it in any way. Uh, just tell it as it is. And I did that with Dale's. Um, the the short did help kind of earn some, I guess, the validity. And uh, okay, it's not just the quality, but also the intention. Um, you know, I'm not going to mess with your story. This is just you know as it is. I'm going to tell it. And. Uh, you know, so we probably had, I would say, eight or nine of the stories uh, before we started production that they all had agreed to. And then, you know, as as a, any kind of documentary goes, you start chasing, you know, new stories and try to find something different and, and add to it. And, 
And, uh, and so we, you know, in, in total, I think it was 14 different people that we included in the film in, in various segments. And uh, they, they had clinically died between seconds to the longest we have in the film was Dean Braxton, which was an hour and 45 minutes. And he's just, he's a smaller segment of the film, but it's, you know, amazing amount of time since they declared, uh, declared him dead, which means uh, because that term near death experience is a little bit loosely, loosely used. We define that as clinical death in the film. So that means, uh, you know, your heart had stopped and or uh, that the brain had uh, ceased to have any kind of brain function. Um, so it's, it's supposed to be, you know, on both on, on, on both ways. And then it would be stopping breathing as well. So it's, it's total, you know, that's clinical death as we would define it from cardiologists and, and neurologists uh, in the film. Speaking of which, when you talk to these philosophers, prof- uh, professors, and cardiologists, um, psychiatrists, um, when you approach them for the film, is the intent on your behalf to try to just bring it this down to more kind of like an academic level? Because where on one end a testimonial from a person has an emotional, uh, personal perspective, I think what is really yeah. imp- impressive about the documentary is that we kind of go underneath the layers of the emotional and kind of go into the you know, I always have a, a saying of my a saying that I have for myself, where I call science understanding the me- the mechanics of God's creation. That's kind of like my 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 philosophy on that. And and to me, that's what it seems like you're doing here. You're trying to get into the mechanics of of this kind of what is happening here. Is that the the intent on your behalf? Yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, we took the approach of from a skeptical perspective. Even um, you know, not everyone in, that was involved in the production of the film really believed in these stories. I was years into this kind of research as the director. And so, uh, you know, I, I definitely was convinced along the way that, uh, that there is something after, but, you know, trying my best to, to mean, remain objective and, and all that. But, you know, we, we did have people that were included, you know, on the, on the producer side that were a lot more skeptical. And that really helped because I think entering this project with, with that tension of, you know, halfway between believing and, and totally disbelieving, you, you kind of, so basically we took the approach of we're trying to speak to the heart and to the mind. So I, I think these stories of the near-death experiences, the people who actually clinically died, a lot of their accounts are going to speak to the heart because, you know, it's an emotional roller coaster and they had, their life had been transformed. Um, but the, the clinical kind of scientific studies of it, there's a lot of evidence to kind of back up these cases. And that was kind of to, to speak to the, to the mind. And I should say that not everyone, it's not every single person that's involved in the film even believes in, you know, life after death. We have uh, uh, Dr. Zamar who had this incredible uh, study that broke in 2022, which we're, you know, very fortunate to get him involved in the project. It made headlines all around the world where he has uh, the first ever recording of a dying human brain, um, which we all thought this must have happened before. Um, Mm. And actually to Dr. Zamar's surprise, even when they, submitted the papers they assumed that there have been a few counts like this before and it turns out under you know acute clinical environments this is the first one that's ever been done uh where it's you know extreme detail you know they actually had this this the scalp removed and these probes were actually in the brain because they're, they're basically trying to stop this patient from seizuring which they did manage um but unfortunately uh the patient uh his heart had stopped and there was a no resuscitation order from the family so they, they could intervene and so, you know, moments, you know, mo- minutes after they realized, oh, my goodness, like we we have a recording of, of the first, you know, dying, dying brain. And uh, 
it was really interesting because you know although it's just one case and and it's you know it's it's of a seizuring patient who's you know has drugs and things like that in his system so it's you know it's not the perfect case uh it's still very interesting because it we kind of explore both the spirituality side to it obviously with these experiences but then also like at what point do we die like what is that threshold of death and sort of the film kind of like investigates that, I would say, on a deep level and, and, and even asks that question, what is the point of death? And is there sort of this line? And, and the line seems to be both on the spiritual level as well as the, the physical material level, because it seems that the brain does continue on for a little, a small period of time. We don't know how long yet because there's not, a lot, not enough data out there. But then also in the spiritual side, many of the people who have these narrative experiences talk about there's this there's this barrier that they come in contact with and they know that if they cross that barrier uh just instinctively that they cannot return to their body it's just this is a, a point of no return and uh dr Savum says in the film you know a line something like uh how do we know <laughs> how do you know if that's a, truly a line that you know maybe is final death mm. uh and, and we, we can't know because we can't interview anyone who has gone over that barrier because <laughs> they just haven't come back the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by Tee Public. Tee Public is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, Tee Public is sure to have something you will love. Please support Matt's Movie Reviews on Patreon. Get access to exclusive content, request movie reviews and top 10 lists, and help support my work. Please click on the Patreon link in the description below. Timing wise, I'm 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 trying to figure out at this time when you're doing the movie and the interviews, COVID was in full swing. Is that correct? It was. We started production right in early 2020, and you know the whole world got shut down right when we were about to begin uh, the interviews. It was going to be a very simple project for in terms of logistics. Everyone was going to fly into you know California. It was going to be very simple. Do this run of interviews. And no, the whole world shut down. So we were flying um, cities basically all around United States when no one else was flying and the rest of the world was shut down. But we're also interviewing doctors who some of them are the heads of their departments and hospitals and have to get hospital clearance and as well as all, all the crazy restrictions. And then on top of that, um, you know, trying to sit like the, you know, the distance apart, you know, all layered up with masks and trying to have a very intimate conversation and get to some talk. They get people to talk about things that they otherwise, you know, don't want to open up about, get it very emotional. And uh, while trying to, you know, speak through all these layers, it was it was very complicated, but um, I'm glad it worked out. The other thing that is fascinating about that timing is that you're talking about mortality, you're talking about death, you're talking about the afterlife during a time where death was in the ether, it was in the air. Everywhere yeah. you turn, yeah. it was a reminder of our mortality I'm sure yeah. that type of um, environment will brought about will bring about an even more sense of intimacy in regards to the subject as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the whole world's asking that question at that point. But I think even you know today we have we have wars you know happening around the world. But and this is not a new, a new thing. You know, humans have always been asking that question. You know, what happens after we die? And so I feel like it's one of the biggest questions that we face. And death affects every person around the world. And that's actually why it was important for us to uh, to investigate this, uh, even on as much as we could, um, a global scale. Because, like I say, it was 14 people in the film, and there's people from different countries outside of North America. 
one of the, one of the objections I would say uh, from a material perspective and point of view, let's say like a more atheist uh, perspective, would be that perhaps our consciousness is just our, our material brain, right? Mm. And so <clears throat> you could you could argue that. Uh, if people are seeing, let's say, Jesus and things like that, um, then that would just be because if they're in, in the United States of America, culturally, they'd be uh, at least have that kind of, I don't know, they'd be exposed to that in some way throughout the course of their life. And so the brain might, you know, sub subconsciously be eating some of that up. And then when you die, you're just seeing what you've been exposed to. But the interesting thing, what we started to unpack with these stories from all around the world is, um, no, that's actually, in fact, a lot of people were seeing things that were completely counter to what they either believed or culturally were exposed to. You know, Steve Kang, who's in our film, um, you know, he he was born and raised in South Korea. It's so, at the time when he was born and raised, it was so insulated from Western culture. It's a little different now, but they don't, they didn't have televisions in homes. They don't have movie theaters uh, in their, in their area. There's no street preachers and there's no access to the Bible. He was Buddhist by default because that's just the religion of, of the country. That's the religion of the culture. And uh, and he took it very seriously. His family family is very devoted, and so he was raised to believe something very specific, you know, uh, philosophically about the afterlife, and what it, which was basically like layers to heaven and layers to hell. And you basically work at attaining these certain levels, and you have basically agency in the afterlife. So you have the ability to kind of move around in these spaces and work on yourself and all that. And to his uh, surprise, uh, when he uh, unfortunately, you know, had died for 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 a little while. He uh, came into this world where there's a different set of rules. How he describes it, and it was like a different set of uh, awarenesses. Um, Paul Yeda, who is also in the film, talks about you know again also very surprised that he has no control over the space that he's entering to. And, and Paul Yeda had a hellish experience, and he's falling into this void and he's you know he's wondering why he's he thought he was you know i'm a good person you know i i i haven't killed anyone i haven't robbed a bank or anything like that and the more the more he thought about why he shouldn't be there and trying to kind of get himself out of it actually it only increased uh the speed of which that he was falling into this place um you know and eventually he had called out to god and that's that's kind of a repeating element to a lot of people who had these hellish experiences were um that they they were given this opportunity and sort of like this in-between state of, of dying to call out upon God and uh, to save them. And, and of course, you know, that's who comes and pulls them out of it, um, which I think is, you know, amazing. That, that took our hero story, Howard, uh, from a, a, a university professor, an atheist, who was decades into that belief, surprised that his consciousness does exist and continue after he dies, seeing his dead body having a, a terrifying hellish experience, but then remembering as a small child, you know, at, at one point he was brought to the Sunday school and he's, he's shown this, uh, this very simple song. I think it was Jesus loves me. This I know just simple rudimentary words. Um, and he thought as a, as a little kid, Jesus is sort of like a superhero. And, you know, it's like, he's scared of the dark or whatever. He, he would maybe call upon him. He doesn't know why he remembered that all of a all of a second sudden, but then he was basically told like externally, this voice spoke to him and said, asked him to pray, and he didn't have the words for it. He had no idea what to to say because he has no context. You know, I don't even know what prayer is. But then he he started remembering certain things, like he would say, I don't know, God bless America, and just these random things, whatever came to mind. But when he started doing that, um, these beings that were around him 
physically had to, they were, they were pushed off a ways. And when he called upon Jesus to save him, you know, this man of light comes and he would describe, I don't know if, I don't know if this part's in the film, but he described in the interview, this man that stood before him was the equivalent of a thousand burning suns. Hmm. He said, if he was standing before him in the flesh, he would have been incinerated. But there in the spirit, it was like this overwhelming, unconditional love, a love that you cannot experience here on earth. It's this absolutely overwhelming, overpowering, unconditional love. And uh, that's what was em like emulating from this, uh, this man of light. And uh, that's something that's very common in near-death experience all around the world. You just explained uh, like one of these scenarios. Um, what I find incredibly impressive about After Death is that it's a documentary that is very cinematic. It's a, the visuals in the film is fantastic. First off, the cinematography by Austin Schraub is great in the movie. Um, whereas it's the um, uh, the reenactments or the interviews, just the lighting and the, the, the imagery is like this beautiful thick imagery, almost kind of like bronze imagery in some cases as well. I just love the color palette. I love everything mm -hmm. in it. But when it comes to the the uh, dramatizations of these experiences that these people have, which in, in one person's words um, says there is no earthly words that do it justice, yet you have to somehow try to do that. So you can try to just give an, a little bit, an ounce, a, an inkling of what it would be like. And the imagery that is presented in the movie is just, it's mind-blowing. It's breathtaking. It really is. It's kind of thing like like you might see in a, like a Terrence Malick film or something like that. Like it's just, it's fantastic. It's, it blew me away. To the point where, where as I'm watching it in my screen, I was just like, this is a movie I need to see. I would love to have seen on a big screen because I think everyone needs to see it in the cinema for that mm. for that reason. When you come about getting these experiences and you need to put it onto film, how do you go about doing so? I know you have the guide, the the the, the words as the guide, but to try to translate that to a medium of filmmaking i'm sure that would have been uh on one hand a exhilarating by another hand and a very incredibly um um, um difficult uh, process to go through yeah daunting and terrifying i would say uh <laughs> to try and do that but also um it's not just the visuals it's also the music you know hannah parrot our, our composer uh had had you know created this absolutely stunning masterpiece of of, of music to to basically join the film and and carry us along sonically and, and bring us to those places of, of you know heaven and hell and these this afterlife experience uh but for her you know she would probably describe the same words that it was terrifying and daunting you know it's um you know we, well, actually we were using temp scores from people like uh, Hans Zimmer and these you know incredible uh composers and you know, it's like, Hannah, you just, you got to create something better. <laughs> mm -hmm. So on top of, you know, trying to create something that brings us to this celestial place that we can't go to and hear, um, and people are describing the sounds of heaven. Uh, so we had, we had, uh, it was ambitious and it was, it was uh, daunting for sure to attempt both sides, you know, visual and, and audio in terms of experience. But I would say the approach that we took was, um, to do something different than, than the typical, I think, you know, a lot of times in film, heaven is represented as, you know, typically it stays in the clouds. It might have cherubims or, you know, gates or whatever, something, something like that. And um, it doesn't kind of branch out too far from that. As, as a kid, I would always, uh, I would always look up at the stars at night. I was always just enamored by, you know, oh my goodness, like what is above us here? It's just 
there's just something surreal about space and we can observe it. It's not, it's not something that's philosophical. This is above us. It actually exists here. And we, and, you know, we can use telescopes and different things to see as far deep into space as we can. And we're setting things, you know, far further away and getting these beautiful images of, of galaxies and, and all that. And this is for me, just causes me to wonder and in awe of, of creation and, uh, and what is it out there and what does it mean to be alive? And so I wanted to kind of use some of those visuals as inspiration to ground this film in, 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 um, in a way that seemed a little bit more tangible. Uh, so there is a lot of kind of cosmic imagery or at least kind of inspired by comic cosmic imagery. And we did, uh, Thomas Vance, uh, this incredible VFX artist, uh, based out of Paris, France had, um, an actual practical approach to doing a lot of the visuals that are, that are represented in the film. And, you know, he's messing with all kinds of uh, chemical reactions, explosions, fusing light and gold and and all kinds of things, you know, together to create this beautiful kind of cosmic imagery. But also there was another thing that kind of acted as a source of inspiration, which is sort of the heaven um, visuals. And uh, anytime there would be like a reference to God. Uh, so Dale Black described at one point to us in his interview that I asked him, if there's anything on earth that kind of reminded him of heaven or that, or that experience or the love that he'd felt in heaven. And he said, there's one thing that he's seen on earth that, uh, that, that brings him uh, to tears. And it's, he says, it's, it's, a, it's very, it's not at all close, but it's the closest thing that you could see on earth. And it, what it was, as he described it, it was the atomic bomb explosion when there's tests and there's footage of the tests of an, of an atomic bomb. He said the first split second when it goes off, there's this absolute overwhelming white light that, that appears. And this is before the blast and, and, you know, the mushroom cloud and all that kind of stuff. He says this pure white light that comes from the beginning of that explosion, he says, is like a very dumbed down, dull black and white, you know, image of the light that he saw um, in heaven. And so we kind of use that actually as a bit of an inspiration, you know, it's this, you know, terrifying, but also, you know, amazing and, uh, you know, a wonderful kind of visual of that first flash use that as a source of inspiration as well as kind of the surface of the sun. And, and, you know, but people are saying, you know, like the burning of a thousand suns, what would that look like? And so we started to kind of mix around with uh, all kinds of um, different approaches practically. A lot of it was, was filmed practically and then kind of layered in, in visual effects uh, with other practical components. And um, that's kind of how we ended up with the visuals, uh, what, what you see on the screen. And like you said, uh, Matthew, it's. I, I think this film is is best experienced on the big screen because yeah. you know in a dark in a dark room and you know you have these massive speakers, uh, you know, and, and we're, we're mixing and uh, we actually mixed in Dolby Atmos, so it's you know it's beautiful, like totally submersive surrounding experience, um, and it's just the pairing of the, of the sound effects and, and the beautiful score and the visuals kind of bring you there. I think temporarily, you know, it's like it can get you as close as we can in a visual experience in, in a theater. But that was our intention to kind of draw you into, you know, what these people are describing. Um, final question. You start this journey way all the way back 2012, seeking answers in regards to what is there after, you know, this earthly realm. You've gone through the process of short of a feature film, talk to so many people, testimonials, experts. Now that the movie's done, it's coming out tomorrow uh, in, in, in North America, do you feel like that you've reached some conclusions, at least in regards to what is out there? Are you, are you still seeking uh, more answers in regards to this? 
I think there's there's parts of it that we're never going to know, you know, fully. Um, I mean, we kind of hit to that in the film. Um, and, and I would say for audiences, we want people to kind of get there on their own. For me personally, um, I would say, yeah, it's, it's many years into this and exploring, you know, there's a Dr. Jeffrey Long who had, who had, uh, he had studied over 4,000 accounts from all around the world. And we, like I said, we had the privilege of speaking to people in countries all around the world who had clinically died and had these experiences. And I don't know, there's, there's some, there's, there's just, I would say like kind of an overwhelming amount of evidence that points to at least that the soul does continue on, that the spirit continues on, that you, uh, that you don't just uh, die and that's it. Um, I think it. I think it'd be. I don't know. That I could ever go back on that. I think that's just. There's just an overwhelming amount of evidence personally uh, that that it that it does go on. And I think now it's just more of a matter of narrowing down. You know what what uh, what exactly is it in the afterlife? You know now that's kind of the next step for uh, anyone in that in that journey is kind of. You know, we explore things like heaven and hell is, is the typical kind of description. Not everyone would use those words. Many people have different words to kind of describe uh, the places that they was, went. But, uh, but you know, sentiment is the same. You know, this is God's domain in heaven where it's life and love and uh, death doesn't exist there. It's only hope, joy, peace. Um, and then there's this hellish uh, area or the void or whatever people might call it which is the absence of light. It's the inverse of light. It's not with lights off. It's, it's not the blackness that we might see on a, on a starless, you know, cold night here on earth. It's the inverse of light, almost like a black hole. And it's only death and it's only hope, hopelessness. And it's the absence of God. It's the absence of anything good. And it seems to be only these two places. Um, and so it's just kind of, you know, the next step logically would just be asking the question, uh, what gets you there? You know, is there, is it me that can do enough here on earth to get me there? Or, you know, the, the, the Christian story is that God sent his only son, uh, who he had created, which is God in the flesh, uh, who had died, you know, basically for our sins and that he bore that so that we could enter the kingdom of heaven because none of us are good enough. All, none of us can do it. Uh, that's, that's the Christian story. And of course, there's different religions and different philosophies out there. Um, and I would just hope that people kind of, you know, explore that and ask those questions. And I think you know, that's what we're here on earth for, to, to do that. And people can do that this October 27, after death in theatres across North America. You can go to angel.com forward slash tickets, um, I uh, forward slash tickets, forward slash after death. I mean, um, the it's just an amazing documentary. It really is. And um um, I'm so I feel so um, fortunate and blessed to have watched it. You know, I'm always on the lookout for myself being a Christian, a, a Catholic. I'm always on the lookout to look for um, films, whether they be documentary features or feature films, what have you, that deal with um, material like this. And I got to say that After Death has, is just an incredible watch. It really is. And so, congratulations to you, Stephen, and and your team. And um, hopefully, you know, tomorrow a lot of people are going to watch this, talk about it, and don't forget as well, everyone out there, pay it forward as well. Um, get a ticket for someone else that you know or you love, or, or to the person uh, just like uh, uh, behind you buying themselves like a, a popcorn and going to watch something else. Give them a ticket to this film as well and watch it and, and, and get this thing going because I think this um, film not only has the potential to be a big uh, moneymaker in the, in the documentary realm, but I think it has the potential to really touch a lot of people. And I think it's something we really need in this world right now. We need... Uh, I think one of the um, one of the um, 
testimonials in the film is um they said um it's just it's all about it's all about love and i think that's something we need more yeah. of and this is something that the movie really does share in, in that way so um thank you for that Stephen, and congratulations to you thank you so much matthew